this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. So Sandeep has moved the drum set right into the middle of the stage. I didn't see any paperwork on that. I'm not guilty. You didn't pass by me. So I'm wondering, actually, by the time Graham comes back in the middle of September, whether we can have the musicians in the back row up there and we could all be sitting on the stage here. That would be novel, wouldn't it? I've got this mischievous streak in me, which I hope I can curtail. Anyway, if you are here with us for the first time today, you won't know that we've just gone through the whole book of 1 Corinthians. And it's been... A fantastic book to go through because I think it would be easy to miss out segments of the Bible because they're controversial or they're hard-hitting. But actually, as a church, we hit them head-on. And I just want to give thanks to the people that prayed or prayed and, and spoke and teach through, taught through some of those verses there because actually there was some really tough stuff there, really. And, um, and we've grown as a church because of that. And a lot of the stuff we're now doing... We've learned it out of 1 Corinthians when I'm doing through our youth work as well. So there's been some, some great lead-ons. So thank you for that. But we're going straight out of 1 Corinthians. And guess where we're going now? Into 2 Corinthians. Yes, you got it. You're ahead of me. Uh, and we know that 1 Corinthians was written by Paul. And he dealt with problems in the church in Corinth that Paul had originally founded. And we know from that lettering that Corinth was a great cosmopolitan Greek city but there was a lot of division and immorality was rife in that church. And as we look at 2 Corinthians, Paul's relationship with the church is at an all-time low. And there is much criticism of both Paul himself and of his role in the church. So that's the backdrop as we start a new series entitled God's Power in Our Weakness. And I guess one of the tough questions we sometimes have to answer in church life is... Why do bad things happen to good people? And the short answer to that is because of sin. We live in a sin-cursed world and we ourselves are sinful people. And the result is between those two realities, there is an introduction of a whole lot of heartaches, a whole lot of struggles and a whole lot of trials into our lives and the lives of those around us. But bad things do happen to good people. But let me take it a step further this morning bad things also happen to godly people. And that might come as a shock to some people here. Perhaps when you thought you came to Christ, that that would be the end of bad things happening. But that's not what God's word teaches us. Jesus said, in this world you will have trials and tribulations. Indeed, at times, God allows bad things to happen to godly people. Why on earth would that be? Because he wants to use those things that you and I might grow in our knowledge of him and in our experience of who he is, of his strength, and of his working in and through us. You see, when we're operating in our own strength, that's when we feel we are strong. But 2 Corinthians tells us this, that it's not when you and I feel we are at our strongest, but that we are really strongest. Rather, it's when you and I find ourselves in those times of life, when we feel we are at our weakest, that we are in fact at our strongest. This is the place where God can and is working the most. So we come to 2 Corinthians with this revelation of our weakness and our frailties before God. And there will be some very familiar passages and wonderful truths that we'll cover over the next few weeks. 
And I guess some passages in 2 Corinthians will have had a profound effect on your lives already as we talk about the God of all comfort this morning. So I've had a, I've had a wonderful time going through this book recently. Um, it's a long time since I've read through 2 Corinthians, but it is actually filled with some wonderful truths. So we won't worry about chapter 1, but I just want to give you a taste of what's coming up over the next 13 weeks. We're going to do a chapter week over the next 13 weeks. So in chapter 3, we read this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Wonderful. That's in this series. In chapter 4, but now we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God's and not from us. That's in this series. Later in chapter 4, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's going to be in this series. Over in chapter 5, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's in this series. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's in this series we're going to go through. Later in chapter 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. We're going to be going through that. In chapter 6, do, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? In chapter 9, we find this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever shows, sows generously will also reap generously. Then it says, for God loves a cheerful giver. In chapter 10, we read this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And later in chapter 10, but let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then finally in chapter 12, just a little snippet out of there. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then it finishes up, for when I am weak, then I am strong. There's some wonderful truths in 2 Corinthians. And can I encourage you, if you're not in the middle of a, a Bible reading series at the moment, if you can read through 2 Corinthians and just be ahead of where we're preaching, that will great, you, give you a great insight into what's coming from the front of the stage on each Sunday for the next 13 weeks. I just find this book of life-changing truths, um, it was obviously a companion to 1 Corinthians, the 2 Corinthians here, and we know that 1 Corinthians was talking about the trouble in the church in Corinth, and 2 Corinthians refers to the personal life of the Apostle Paul. If you want to know how Paul thinks, feels, and acts, then here it is in all its rawity. It's an amazing insight into the life of the Apostle Paul. I think we gain more insight from Paul from 2 Corinthians than any other New Testament book. Now, there is some debate whether Paul actually had written the series of four letters to the church in Corinth. And if you look on, I don't know, Wikipedia or whatever, some people will say there was four letters. I even read last night, some people said there was five letters to the Corinthians. But we know basically that it's generally accepted that the second and the fourth letters we refer to as the first and the second. And a couple of them were lost in, in the journeys, basically. So Paul has been in Corinth and he's established the church there. And we've seen that in earlier series that when he leaves, trouble breaks out. False teachers have come in and have discredited Paul, and division is now rife. And as a result of that happening, Paul feels the need to write to Corinthians, which later became known as the severe or stern letter to the church. This letter is sent with Titus back to the church in Corinth. 
on receipt of this letter reaching the church, there is a much repentance and turning back to the gospel. And we see this later in chapter 7, verse 9. As Paul is writing this letter to the church, he is at a low time in his ministry. He's been derided, falsely accused, and had his doctrine undermined. In chapter 10, verse 10, we read this. For some say that his letters are weighty and forceful, but he is unimpressive and his preaching amounts to nothing. Imagine that, if you're the Apostle Paul and someone's written that about you. It's come from inside of the church. How hurtful would that be? Every aspect of Paul is being attacked here and he's on the ropes. On top of all that, we can assume from chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, that Paul has some sort of physical infirmity. It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. So Paul was totally overwhelmed by this ailment, which is stating a great deal. As earlier in his life, in chapter 11, verse 23, he writes this. I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city and in the country, in danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I have laboured and toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And yet the ailment described in chapter 12 as a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me, had a greater effect on him than all of those things he'd already gone through. He has experienced more than most, but he never thought until this point that he was going to die. So in chapter 1, verse 8, we read this. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Paul says, I thought I was going to die. Paul says, I've lost all hope. Paul says, it was more than I could take. And I believe this morning that there may be some here. And what makes this point so relevant to you is that you're in a similar position today. Maybe others know about your situation, or maybe nobody knows about it. But the reality is that you may be in the fight of your life, and you find yourself asking the following questions. Why me? Where is God? Why would God let this happen to me? What in the world could this serve in the purposes and plan of God? I've been faithful to the Lord, I've been following the Lord, and now I find myself in the midst of this great battle what is this all about? And you're wondering this morning if you're going to make it and you readily associate with the words of Paul and you're thinking, I just don't know if I can go again. This can apply to marriage, to work, to family, to finances. You don't know what you're going to do and you don't know where to turn to now. If any one of those situations and many that I haven't mentioned are passing through your mind right now, and you know it's draining the life out of you, then this book and this message is for you. 
You see, the Apostle Paul comes to us and he opens his heart and his life and he gives us a perspective of what God and the Holy Spirit are doing in regards to trials in the life of the believer. It's so interesting that Paul uses different words and phrases to describe trouble in this letter. He uses the word affliction, the word suffering, the word burden, the phrase sentence of death, the phrase despairing of life, and the phrase deadly peril. Paul is using different words and phrases to describe troubles and trials. But then in this wonderful Holy Spirit-inspired book, we find God's answer, as in chapter 1, verse 3 down to verse 7, you have the word comfort that appears nine times. So you could understand it this way. Troubles come in a variety of different approaches, from a variety of different directions, whether it is suffering, affliction, sentence of death, or deadly peril. But you see in every single one of them, God's comfort is there. And God's comfort is consistent. And God's comfort is adequate to see us through whatever we may face in our lives. Then Paul goes on to give three reasons why God allows us as believers to experience trials. And if you're taking notes, this is not exhaustive lists, but just what Paul refers to in this context. So point number one. God allows trials so that we can experience his comfort in our lives. So verse 3 of chapter 1 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. You see, he's the God of grace. He's the God of mercy and he's the God of kindness. He's the God of comfort and the heart of God is to show himself to you and to me today. You may be in the midst of that trial today and you wish that if only you could see God in it. If you could just have a sense that he is here with you. Can I assure you that it's in the heart of God himself to show you his person, to show you his power, his mercy, his strength and his comfort. You see, the only way comfort has any meaning is if you and I need to be comforted. We need to feel God working this in our lives. He heals the brokenhearted. C.S. Lewis, the famous Christian writer, wrote this, that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When it's all going okay, God's voice can become distance. I wonder if you've ever experienced that. When you're on the front foot with God and you lift your hands in the morning and you're just praising God and you're in the Bible and you think, well, this is a breeze. His voice doesn't seem so loud because you don't need him so much. And C.S. Lewis explains that there is something about going through a trial because in that moment God shows up and he becomes more real to you. His power and his presence are somehow sweeter to you. There is a newness in your walk with the King of Kings. It is in this moment that we say again, God, I want to know you. And he says, great. Because I've always wanted that relationship with you. But because you want to know me, I'm going to allow some things to happen in your life, which at the time might seem really painful. But I'm going to let you go through that in order that I might reveal again my comforts and my compassion to you so that you might totally understand that when I'm all you have, I'm really all you need. 
when I'm all you have, I'm really all you need. Most of us won't ever live there without the experience of trials and tribulation. So point one was God allows trials so that we can experience his comfort in our lives. Point two, God allows trials so that we can extend his comfort to the lives of others. I'm reading from chapter one, verse three to seven. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the suffering of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. You see, verse 4 states that you can't give what you don't have. You can't extend to someone else what you haven't received yourself. What Paul is saying is that there are times in our life in which God allows us to undergo and experience the difficulty of pain, suffering and loss in order that we might understand how awesome he is and to recognise the sufficiency of his presence to meet our every need. It's wonderful, isn't it? But in that moment, that we would also receive something from him that we can give back to others. Seven years ago, my uh, daughter went to hospital for a checkup. And I'll never forget the moment I was driving in the car, basically, and I had a phone call from her. And she said, Dad, I've just been told I've got cancer. And in that moment, I don't know if you've ever experienced that or hardship of, of that type. In that moment... It really affected me. And in her voice was just this pain. And um, if you've been through that situation, you know, uh, I think we went down for the time and we thought, well, God, where are you in this? But then we were talking about this the other day, how we got through that situation, how she got through it. And we experienced the comfort of God like we'd never experienced it before. And we experienced the family of church getting beside us, alongside us and doing things for us. It was the most wonderful outworking of the gospel. But I was talking about that the other day, and my eldest brother, who is not a Christian, um, if any of you have met him, you'll never forget him. He's due to come on holiday pretty soon. And he said to me the other day, he said, when I come down to stay, could I come down here for two Sundays? And I said, oh, why do you want to come down Sunday? He said, I love being with church people. I love being with the people that you meet with. And um, he's not a Christian, but he recognizes there's something about the aroma of God's people. And he said to me the other day, he said, we were talking about my daughter Anna, and he said to me, he said it was because the doctors had said to her that you may never have children, basically, because of this cancer. Three children later, praise God, and the, the latest one only been born a few months ago, basically. And he said to me on the phone, he said, do you know, I remember that. And he said, that was miraculous, wasn't it? And I said, yeah, it was. It was a miracle, to be quite honest. But we have to remember that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, don't we? But if you're going through a trial, God gives comfort so that you can receive and pass it on to others. So, you know, I've been through that. I think we've been through that as a family. And so now we know what it feels like a little bit to get alongside someone else that's going through hardship. You can't, you can't give what you haven't received yourself.
But you see, God is in all of these things. So can I ask you a question this morning? Is it okay with you if God wants to take you through a valley situation in order that you may be able to help someone else down the line in their own valley situation? Is it okay if we say, oh God, please use me? And God says, I want to use you, but in order to make you useful, you're going to have to go through some trials. But I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to teach you things along the way. That you might be able to talk and minister to those and give to others the comfort that I've given you. So if you feel afflicted, it's not just about you. If you feel full of despair, it's not just about you. If you feel the sentence of death, it's not just about you, but God in his grace has entrusted to you these difficulties that you might lean on him and receive from him and be a comfort giver to others. You see, we can all extend comfort to one another, but the person who has faced and overcome trials has a definite edge on bringing hope to others. If you haven't been through it, you're not quite sure how you can take it forward. So God allows trials so that we can extend his comfort to the life of others. My final point. God allows trials so that we might exclusively rely on his power. You see, God's grace is sufficient. It's everything we need. His power is perfected in weakness. In verse 8, we read this. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. And that was before what we saw Paul went through in chapters 11 and 12. We don't know what this was, maybe some persecution, maybe an illness. At the very least, it was so severe that Paul says it was worse than anything he had experienced in his life up to now. So what can we understand from that passage? That maybe trials are not a sign of his rejection, but rather of his direction and his ways of working in your life to bring about glory to his name. We so want a comfortable life, but what God wants is us to know it's not so much a comfortable life, but a life filled with his comfort. The word despaired used in verse 8 in the Greek means no passage. Therefore, no exit, no way out, no way out mentally, physically. Paul just felt he was trapped in the situation. I wonder this morning, are you trapped in your trial, trapped in your difficulty, trapped in your illness, trapped in your marriage? There's no way out. Paul felt this indeed. He says he thought he had received the sentence of death. This was it. This was the end for him. But if you think you're going through a bad time, listen to this, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 9. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happens that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Off ourselves, back onto him, his glory and his majesty, the perspective. Let's get the perspective back in the right way. So why does God allow us to encounter these trials in our lives? Why do we sometimes have to contend with situations that make us think that we cannot bear the pressure any longer? So that we might come to an end of self, that we would come to the end of our rope, 
that we would let go of trying to do it by ourselves and trying to solve it ourselves and trying to be strong ourselves. You see, when we let go of all this, we come to an understanding of his power. Now, experts would say if someone is drowning, especially someone bigger and stronger than yourself, the best thing you can do for them is let them wear themselves out before you jump in and try and rescue them. Because if they're bigger and stronger than you, the chances are that they will pull you under the water. But it's when they've lost their strength that you can come alongside and rescue them. And could it be, and in fact it is, that this is exactly what happens with God. You see in the moments when you and I stop our striving and stop our struggling, it is when God says, good, let me help you. Let me work in you. That's Paul's experience exactly. That's why he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. How different from the way that I sometimes go about my life. I like to be on the front foot. I like to show I'm strong in charge of things. But actually, it's when I'm weak that he's strong. It's when I reach the end of what I can do that he steps in when I allow him. How different our lives might be if we took that stance that Paul took here. Three times he said, take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. Perfect power, how? In our weakness. And sometimes I want to say, no, make your power perfect when I am strong. Let me know your power when all is good with the world. And God says, yes, I will, but you'll never know the extent of it or the raw strength of it until you're in a place of knowing you have no power of your own. Paul says, take it away, take it away, take it away. And that's where some of you might be today. And the Lord has come to you this morning through this word and he has said, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Therefore, I will boast. It's wonderful to boast in God, isn't it? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. I delight in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so ends this first part of a remarkable letter from Paul. Power made perfect in weakness. Paul thought his life was over. God allowed him to go through these trials so that he could teach you and I not to rely on ourselves, but on his power that is able to raise even the dead. Amen. I wonder if the band could come up, please.
if you've not been with us at Jubilee before, we have a fairly straightforward ending to most of our services. We love to pray for people. We love people to come down to the front and then members of the church will gather around them and pray for them. And then we disappear out there and we get ourselves a coffee and a donut and we chat over what's going on in life. And that's exactly what I want to do today, really. But before we do that, there's two things I want to do, please. Um, I guess my prayer is that you and I know that strength and power. And especially if you're going through trials today. And I pray that you might be encouraged that you're not alone, but the God of all comfort is with you. And he desires to reveal himself to you. So I want to do two things. Is maybe we're going to sing one last song. If you feel that you're going through a trial and a tribulation, and maybe I've already said, maybe no one else knows about it, just you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to talk about the God who says, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. We'd love to pray for you. So that's the first thing I'd like to say. So um, when we've started to sing the song, if you'd like to come down the front. And then I want to get the church on its feet later on, please. And I want to just take you through a situation that's going on in our church family. Um, Chris Pollard, um, many of you here will know, Chris was around last week, I think, but hasn't been around for some time. And Chris has had, uh, um, Chris has got cancer at the moment. Um, Went to see her on Wednesday. Uh, She's in good spirits, basically, and had a a further test, basically, and she's got to go in for more surgery again. So um, I'd like the church to stand in a minute, and I want to pray for Chris and her family. God will break through. We know God is a healer. We don't know why he doesn't heal every time we pray. That's one of those profound mysteries that we'll never understand until we're face to face with Christ. But that doesn't stop us praying in power. It doesn't stop us grabbing hold of the, of the scriptures and applying it to Chris's life. We want to see Chris made whole again, don't we? So I wonder if we can do that first of all. And I, I was just, I don't know how this fits. This might be really clunky. But as I was sitting down there just thinking about the end of the service and praying for Chris, I felt that, Actually, I made a fun of the drum kit being in the centre of the stage, but there is something powerful about this drum kit and the beat that it provides. It's like I felt God saying to me, I want to put you on a war footing for Chris Pollard and her health. And so I don't know how to play the drums. You obviously do, but <laughs> well, we assume he does, sorry. But I think it would be really good. We, we just want to, we'll all get up and we're going to pray together, but there was something about the beat of that drum, actually, which just just says to the enemy here, actually, this is the body of Christ on the front foot. We're moving out. We're praying for Chris. So if you can just accompany us out in the background, that'd be great. So first of all, can I ask the church to stand, first of all? I'm just going to lead us in prayer. And then I just, I just please all just raise your voices and start to pray for Chris. Chris has been, you know, Chris has been part of this church for many, many years. Uh, she's a wonderful sister in Christ and she has a wonderful family and we miss them all and we need to almost be adamant that the enemy's not going to have his way in the situation we're going to see breakthrough here so um, I'm going to pray then please you feel free to join in as well so Father Father I pray right now Lord God that the blood of Christ Lord God is more than take care of the situation, Lord. We bring Chris and Matthew and Steve before you today, Lord God. Father, we know that you are the healer. You're risen with healing in your wings, Lord God. And Father, we want to take up the authority of Christ this morning 
and we want to speak against sickness in that household in Jesus' name. We say be free from cancer. Be free from cancer. We speak the words of God, words of life, eternal life into that family. We say uphold them in this time, Lord God. Father, bring them through, bring them through this situation rejoicing in Jesus. Jesus, Father, you're the one. You're seated on the throne, Lord. Everything is subject to you, Lord. Father, we bow the knee this morning. We wonder. Oh, Jesus is Lord. 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 Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.